Greetings friends, welcome back to Dissecting Dexter. I'm your host Gareth Watkins, as always sitting here in the mobile studio in the heart of North Yorkshire, England, today in typical autumn weather. Oh, just yucky. Typical October, mid-October weather, I suppose. So um, I guess we can't really complain, but we were spoilt with that, that nice weather through September or much of September. But here we are again to talk about some Dexter. The last week has... Um, it's been good. It had fun talking to people about the season six premiere. I've also been uh, enjoying one or two new shows that have cropped up this autumn. Uh, American Horror Story and Homeland are my two picks, if you like, of the new shows. Uh, Homeland, of course, follows Dexter on Showtime on a Sunday night. I I don't know if any of you guys have been watching it. Uh, I've only seen the opening episode so far and uh, really enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, sort of getting into that over the next few weeks. Uh, an American Horror Story, which looks totally freaky, um, but kind of, you get the feeling it's, well, they're pushing it as far as they can, considering it's on FX. If it was on Showtime or HBO, you think it, it would just get out of control. But um, I think they're still going to have some fun with it on, on FX. Uh, elsewhere, the podcast awards that I'd been talking about lately uh the final sort of shortlist of nominations uh, w- w- was announced at the weekend and unfortunately dissecting dexter was not on the shortlist um but thank you very much those of you who nominated the show i really appreciate it uh who knows maybe we'll uh, have better luck next year i guess i need to um look at the criteria uh that they assess the podcasts on and um try and up our game a bit um, improve the website for one thing um, and we'll see what else and maybe stand a better chance next year but thanks for your support guys on on that one okay so let's get back to the show itself the latest episode once upon a time season six episode two and as such being season six if you're not up to date with dexter and you've been subscribing to the podcast thus far for the rewatch episodes then you may want to bank this one and watch it when you're up to date and watching season six uh, because if you're not up to date then you're likely to get spoiled so uh, i don't want to do that but obviously we're going to be talking about uh, 602 today so um you've been warned <laughs> but if you're still with me Let's get into this episode. The original air date, 9th of October 2011, episode written by Tim Schlappman, who is a familiar name to regular Dexter watchers. He's also a producer on the show. And directed by uh, female British director S.J. Clarkson, who's done lots of British TV work, directing, uh, amongst others, uh, a couple of soap operas, EastEnders and Doctors. She's also done episodes of Casualty, Footballers' Wives, the original British version of Life on Mars. And then she seemed to move out to the US around 2009. And since then, she's uh, been involved with episodes of Ugly Betty, Heroes, House. And I think this is her second Dexter episode, the first one being season four's Hello, Dexter Morgan. And Actually, I noticed from the credits of this episode... um, Clyde Phillips is still credited as a consultant. 
I honestly don't think he has any creative involvement now. So I think this is just a a courtesy um, to the good man for all his previous hard work on the show. And who knows, maybe he gets um, uh, a small uh, stipend from <laughs> from that credit. Uh, just very briefly, the ratings. As I talked about last week, I won't go into details again this week, except to say that they're pretty inconsequential considering they're negotiating with um, Michael C. Hall for two more seasons, about which I've not heard anything more. Uh, so who knows, maybe uh, there'll be some more news next week, uh, but you'll be sure to know uh, once I do, uh, if not via the Twitter feed or the Facebook page, then certainly on the next podcast. The ratings themselves were down a little bit from last week, but as I say, big deal. doesn't mean a whole lot at the moment, so uh, we shan't worry too much about that. So let's get on with the episode review and uh, dive in and dissect what went on. Here we go. were Geller and Travis setting up at that old church with the mannequins. That was strange. And Geller fondling that that mannequin's head, the female head. I, <laughs> When he first picked it up, I wondered if it was going to be a real head. And, and then he said hello to it, and it reminded me of uh, Hello, Dexter Morgan, from season four. Travis, he, he really is, or really does seem to be afraid of Geller. But some of their dialogue... It's almost father-son. Geller refers to him as a as good boy. He's so creepy. Edward James Olmos. It's a nice performance. Very dark and, and menacing. I like it. And we got to meet Travis's sister, played by Molly Parker, who you may recognise from... Um, well, she's been in a lot of films and TV shows. She had a regular part in Deadwood, which is one of my favourite all-time TV shows. Clearly, the sister cares for her brother, and in that scene at dinner, he seemed quite stiff and a little bit cold, maybe, kind of reluctant to be friendly, kind of reluctant to warm up, and he chastises her for blaspheming at one point, which perhaps is a bit telling. She wanted him to spend the evening, but he says about having to work, and she convinced him to stay but later we see Geller's upset about it when Travis rejoins him the following night but the sister she mentions a flock of birds dying up north and how some people think it's the end of the world and I really like this tying in with real life events from last winter you may not be aware of this uh, because these sorts of things have actually happened before too but last winter flocks of birds were found dead shoals of fish whole shoals of fish were washed up dead birds were found as widely as sweden and italy and around the u.s i think the shoals of fish were in arkansas and also um i think seals were found dead cattle were found dead herds of cattle end of days obsessives claim that these are portentous events and judging by the look on travis's face you have to wonder if this links in a bit with his agenda with Geller. I mean, obviously, we still don't know exactly what their agenda is, or precisely what the nature of their relationship is. 
but maybe this end of days, these hints uh, may be giving us some clues. So yeah, the next night, <clears throat> the night after the dinner with the sister, Geller's disappointed in Travis, and Travis has a quiver in his voice. He's, he really does seem to be afraid of Geller, who then burns his own arm as a gesture to Travis, apparently wanting to hurt him, or so he says. God, that's screwed up. <laughs> Geller says, see how I suffer for your sins. The guy is clearly nuts. Does he have delusions about being the second coming? Suffering for our sins? It's what the Bible says Jesus did. But I'm intrigued about the ark for the sister. Is Geller going to make Travis kill her? Travis said she's all he has, but when Geller burns himself, Travis goes to pieces saying he won't see her again. It was a nice performance by Hanks there. And indeed a nice performance by Olmos, who um, seems to really really seem very comfortable in this, this dark and mysterious and menacing character. The fact that they've got Molly Parker playing the sister, uh, a recognised and renowned actress, it pretty much tells me that we've not seen the last of her. She's not signed up just for one scene. So, in spite of Travis saying he won't see her again, I think we will see her again. But, I'll be honest, I don't fancy her chances of her surviving the season. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. Email your feedback to dissectingdexter at gmail.com. Blood. Sometimes it sets my teeth on edge. Okay, so let's move on to Deb and Quinn, or probably more specifically uh, Deb. <laughs> the whole proposal thing. Oh dear, did Quinn misread that or what? He'll wish he kept his head beneath the parapet, won't he, and kept that ring to himself, maybe for another couple of years. <laughs> yeah, I felt sorry for him. I mean, the the proposal at, early in the episode, as if that wasn't bad enough, then later she comes home and finds the little tea-like candles in a heart shape on the counter. Oh. <laughs> then he emerged from the, the side room and... I was gonna, I was gonna nickname him Ken rather than Quinn because, God, has he changed? He really does seem to be a changed man. Maybe entirely thanks to his relationship with Deborah, but I don't know. He's, <laughs> he just seems a little bit goofy, and um, certainly not the Quinn we know from uh, season four. But he's, yeah, he's more like Ken, like a Ken doll now. <laughs> but yeah, so Deborah goes on about saying. She's happy with how things are and doesn't want to take the next step. She seems to like the status quo. She likes him, but well, she said to Dexter she doesn't want to spend the rest of her life with him. And maybe that's kind of fair. I'm sure there are a lot of relationships that aren't clear-cut. And maybe people stay together. They know they're not going to be together forever. But they stay together because it suits them for now. And, you know, the situation suits them and they enjoy it. They can have fun. It um, it's just what they need for the time being, and you know they may know that they at some point they might grow apart or you know want something else, and uh, are kind of realistic about it. But I did like the nice return to the old relationship with her brother, Deborah. There, confiding in Dexter, valuing his opinion, and I like Dexter musing about Deb marrying Quinn. 
Queen is Deb's boyfriend is one thing, uncle to my son, over his dead body. <laughs> Dexter's face, as Deb's mulling it over to him, it was like he'd, he was sucking on a lemon or something. <laughs> he seemed to have this really bad taste in his mouth at the, the thought of, of Deb marrying Quinn. Why can't things just stay the same, she says. Dexter looks at Harrison's photo at that point, and it was a nice little parenting moment. We've, well, I'm sure any parent's been there, feeling melancholy about our kids growing up and in one way wanting them to grow and develop, but at the same time missing the times when they were younger. Here, Dexter's feeling how easy it was when Harrison was less aware, but he didn't have to be so cautious about influencing him. But maybe there's that natural parenting melancholy there as well that I just described. So we've got the whole thing with Deb's promotion. Pretty much, well, it seems pretty much Matthew's getting one over on LaGuerta promoting Deb. Although she's got some public popularity after the shooting and increased respect within the, in the department. She is, of course, completely bowled over by the offer and reacts in typical Deborah fashion. Harry was one of the good ones. And so are you. Thank you, sir. It means a lot. It's why I'm making you Homicide's new lieutenant. <laughs> Me. Right. Lieutenant. <laughs> Fuck balls. You're serious. I'm... Sir. Yeah, no, another perler from Deb there. It's nice how she immediately goes to Batista's corner. Partly out of loyalty to him, but perhaps also an indication of her own lack of self-confidence. Matthews, though, was encouraging, and she seems to come round to the idea. But wow... What a reward for her hard work, even if the promotion was motivated by Matthew's animosity towards LaGuerta. But Deb, she does seem to have been on the fast track a bit. She's still very young. She's must only be in her, in her early 30s. And she's come a long way from the vice cop in a miniskirt in season one. But she's done the graft. She's shown herself to be a talented detective and definitely deserves the, deserves the recognition whether she'll get itchy feet and want to be out on the street, though, that will remain to be seen. But in telling Dexter, <laughs> he looked a bit horrified, didn't he? Will she be the one leading the department, hunting him down one day? Deb talked about achieving more than Harry ever did. She's always been living in his shadow, striving to be a police officer he'd have been proud of, and we've talked about this before. Now she's looking at surpassing everything her father ever did. It's quite a milestone for her. Maybe she can take this job and shrug off the burden she'd put on herself. Could be the best thing to happen to her. She's stepping out on her own, out of Harry's shadow. I like the moment when Quinn rings and Dex then takes the piss out of her and she says, I will kill you. Yeah. Did you think that was a bit of foreshadowing? Later... Uh, there was a scene, I think it was, was it the next day or the day after, with Deb's getting all doled up for her presentation to the department. And she says to Dexter, screw Dad, I want to make you proud of me. And goes and gives Dexter a hug. I thought that was a really nice moment. Really nice. How far their relationships come. He's, I wouldn't say Dex is a father figure to her, but he's he's filled that stable male role in her life. And uh, obviously with things not as good for Quinn and, well, I mean, Dex and Deb, they have this history together, don't they? He's always been there for her. So when Deborah tells Batista, that was a nice scene. 
He was so good about it. He's been like another big brother for her. He's always had her back. He knows how good she is professionally. You can see the slight hurt on his face, though. But maybe he knows he's been a pawn in the game between Matthews and LaGuerta, and <laughs> he really let LaGuerta have it, didn't he? Good on him. You're listening to Dissecting Dexter. But what do I have to offer a child? Just me? Demented Daddy Dexter. So we're introduced to a new character, Brother Sam. He comes in to help with police inquiries about the dead body from last week, Omar Rivera, who we hear was an ex-con. Police clearly don't like Sam. He gave Rivera a job at his car body shop after he got out of jail, and we learn he himself is an ex-con turned minister. So again, religion comes into it. And we learn that he was a, pre a previous potential target for Dexter, but he got put away before he could kill him. Of course, Dex is intrigued to learn of this apparent change of heart and new direction for Brother Sam, who here is played by the actor most deaf, or <laughs> it looks like in the credits he's now <laughs> the artist formerly known as Mose Deaf and now just Mose. And I thought this episode, it was a nice, cool, calm performance. I think I'm going to like him. The interview with Batista, Sam explains how he still bears the burden of his criminal past. My past, things that I've done, life that I've lived, has haunted me to this day. Bullshit. I don't give a rat's ass what you think about me, understand? Or the work that I do, or the men that I do it with. What I do know is this. Omar did not have this coming. His demons were gone. Men can change he sounds completely sincere, but Dexter watching surreptitiously on the monitor, he isn't buying it. He's doubtful that while men can change, monsters can't. And I wasn't sure here if he was part referring to himself as well as Sam. He knows Sam was a killer and is lining him up in his sights again for a, <laughs> a short, sharp visit to the kill table. He's often written himself off as being a monster, or at least, if he doesn't use that word, he doesn't think he can completely change. It's his fate, he says, to be controlled by the Dark Passenger. Remember the moment at the end of last season. He was resigned to this, and obviously finds it hard to believe that any other killer could completely change. Dexter visits Brother Sam's workshop, and they have a surprising conversation. Sam makes an analogy between a broken car and a man's soul, how neither are beyond repair, and he goes on to talk about when he killed a man. What the hell? He's talking to a customer he's only just met, but very openly. <laughs> and he unknowingly ticks all the boxes for Dexter's code and making himself a prime candidate. He goes on about God saving him, but the best bit was when Dexter asked if the darkness was gone, and he says... No, it's still there. He fights it every day. This reminded me of season two, when Dexter went to the Narcotics Anonymous meetings. How many of the principles of addiction recovery applied to his own dark addiction? Recovering drug addicts talk about having a daily battle, and here, Brother Sam's saying the same thing, fighting his inner darkness every day. The message for the show is clear. Dexter might learn something here. Not vanquish his dark passenger, but successfully suppress it. 
However, Brother Sam had to accept God into his life in order to do that. Could Dexter ever do the same? You have to wonder. Despite this potential for learning, Dexter still pursues him with a view to killing him. And I like the swerve, making us think Sam had shot that guy, and then Dexter coming to Sam's aid when the gangbangers turned up. It's always fun to see Dexter kicking some ass. <laughs> and again, is this, an is this an example of Dexter putting himself out for another human being? He didn't have to get involved. Self-preservation had always been high on his list of priorities. I did love the black look on his face when he spoke to the gang leader, though. It's apparent that Sam might well be the good shepherd, watching out for his flock of ex-cons employed in his workshop. He was super cool with a gun pointed in his face, perhaps not afraid of dying, but more importantly, he seems to have total faith in that God will protect him. And Dexter's very intrigued. But did you think it was obvious the gang leader would end up on Dex's table? I turned to my wife and I said, if it's not this week, it's going to be next week. <laughs> and when he does, Dex's comment at the end of the kill scene was telling. Monsters don't get to live happily ever after. So just um, jumping over to Masuka briefly, before we kind of close out the episode. The, <laughs> well, there's a potentially amusing relationship with the new intern, Ryan. I say potentially, it already is amusing. <laughs> the lewd remarks, staring at her body parts. <laughs> Not in the least bit subtle, but she seems to be quite open and possibly quite a sexual girl. Professionally, though, they make some deductions about the snakes that gives the case a potential lead. However, honestly, I'm not sure whether it'll go anywhere, but I did like his comment. I'd rather look up your... I mean, I didn't... I wasn't... Please don't sue. You like to watch. Good to know. <laughs> I love the look on his face there. Nice one, Masuka. But God, he's he's on thin ice there, isn't he? Because seriously, you make comments like that to a female colleague, especially somewhere like the police force. You're skating on thin ice, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, he's he's got away with it with Deb, but... He's got a new colleague here, and frankly, maybe he should test the water before um, jumping into uh, you know the the overt flirting or um, perverted remarks. <laughs> but no, she seems to be um, she seems to be open to it. So, are we going to see Masuka get a girl this year, or is she just a massive flirt and we'll end up leading him on? Maybe he'll kind of fall for her, but it'll turn out she was just playing, just kind of playing him at his own game. Not to hurt him, but just just having fun. <laughs> so as the episode finishes, because I've kind of covered most things from the episode, but at the end there, and, and at the beginning as well, we had scenes of normalcy for Dexter. Normal parenting rituals he talks about with Harrison. And the bath bedtime routine is his favourite ritual. When Harrison said, Monster Story Daddy... <laughs> It didn't strike me as the voice of a two-year-old or, or the voice of a child that's just turned two. I thought he spoke very well. <laughs> and uh, did you notice Dexter telling him the story about the little Chino, little Chino monster or whatever it was, however it was he put it. But the reference to little Chino going back to uh, one of his kills at the beginning of season two. And then there was a moment mid-episode, actually, when Dexter was doing some research while playing with Harrison looking through some gory pictures while 
uh, Harris, well, distracting Harrison with his other hand, uh, with that sort of rubber ball. <sighs> what the hell? You know, pictures like that with your, your young child sat next to you. What was he playing at? He's got all night to look through his pictures if he wants to study uh, Brother Sam. And then the whole thing with Daddy's box and Dexter telling Harry how Harrison's noticing things he says, things he does, where things go. And I wondered about that and that struck me. I thought, is Harrison at some point going to point to the aircon and say Daddy's box? Maybe say something to Jamie, uh, Batista's sister. But I do like the domestic scenes with Harrison. You could say they're throwaway moments, but... I don't know, it's just showing that normal side of Dexter. And he's talked, well, he said it's his favourite ritual, so clearly he's getting a lot out of it and appreciates those times with him. You know, you've got bath time, the storytelling. And at the end there, the scenes of domestic bliss, juxtaposed, it's easy for me to say, juxtaposed with Travis setting up the next victim. So I guess that that new victim's going to fit in with the mannequins at the old church. And that was the end of the episode. Another really good episode. Clearly, you know, it's just episode two. A lot of setting up still. Establishing the new characters. But my goodness me, wasn't there a lot of foreshadowing there? I mean, I touched on the moments in in, in the episode there. Deborah saying, I will kill you. Harrison saying, Daddy's box. Travis's sister talking about uh, the dead birds and, and the end of the world and whatnot. There's a lot of foreshadowing, some of it perhaps more significant for Dexter, the TV series as a whole, maybe, uh, and, and some of it just significant for this season. But um, it's it's adding to my excitement for the coming season. Dexter's closing comments there, how he's a wolf, describing himself as a wolf when he's telling the story of the three little pigs, and that basically now Harrison's growing up and being more aware of what's going on. He has to be extra careful to prevent him seeing the real Dexter, only the version that's make-believe. Which is sad that he has to put on this disguise for his son. He goes on to say it's the only way this story can have a happy ending. Which is sad, but again, foreshadowing. And again, Dexter writing himself off, resigned to having this darkness forever, and having to make extra effort to protect his son from ever discovering it. So that's what I thought. Let's get into what you guys thought. Listener feedback. Firstly, I just want to give a quick shout out to a few new iTunes reviewers who've been very kind to leave very good iTunes reviews. Uh, thank you very much to Alex Bowden, MHW0714, Blair's Wig. Hungry Man and Chasing Magic. And Chasing Magic actually uh, mentioned the Dissecting Dexter drinking game, which I wasn't previously aware existed, but uh, <laughs> I can certainly see merit of it on it. And uh, from last week's episode, I think you'd be pretty pissed by the time... <laughs> pissed being drunk in English. <laughs> uh, uh, you'd be pretty, uh, pretty merry by the end of the episode, I think. The drinking game is uh, quite simply, you have a swill every time... Uh, we're interrupted by flying objects, <laughs> military helicopters, airplanes, or whatever. So um, 
thanks for that one. Maybe I should do that as I podcast. It might make for some uh, pretty interesting observations if I'm actually drunk while podcasting. <laughs> OK, so to the emails. First one is from Daniel Bates from Ipswich in Massachusetts, who sent an email following on from the last podcast. So uh, what he's got to say is uh, prior to episode two. And he emails to say that he was surprised to hear of the potential for added years in the show. He says, I understood that last season was almost the capper and that this current one would wrap it all up. The repeated appearances of serial killers in Miami is really starting to push all aspects of plausibility. Doesn't our protagonist need to travel if this series is to continue beyond this season? That or deviate from the basic formula? The scoreboard table and mascot head were outstanding. The only thing missing was a loud buzzer at the moment of truth. I wonder what happened to the commitments, nanny. I thought there were some sparks there. I heard on some other podcast comparing AMC to HBO that selfish, high-priced actors in these ensemble productions really hamstring other aspects of the production values. A little disheartening to hear of the salary numbers you mentioned for Mike Hall. Thanks very much, Daniel. To address your points, that last one about salaries, well, obviously I talked about it last week, and um, I guess, I mean... To me personally, it is it's an obscene amount of money what what he's asking for, um, and that he seems to be holding out for that extra four million over and above what Showtime offered him, and and that itself was twenty million, hell of a lot of money. Um, but Showtime have a big hit on their hands; it's one of their flagship shows, and uh, Michael C. Hall is the big commodity for Dexter. Without it, without him, it's nothing. Uh, well, there is no show. So uh, you can kind of understand that we'll see it from the point of view of Showtime investing in their commodity. But it's a fair point that the high amount of money paid to these actors can potentially hamstring other aspects of the show, other production values, maybe salaries paid to other actors, arguably, um, you know, still still. Well, no, not arguably. Still, just as deserving of a decent, decent wage. Other aspects of the production could suffer. Um, I mean, Dexter as a TV show, a lot of it's on location, isn't it, around LA? Uh, a lot of it in, stu- in the studio as well. But they don't really have too much in the way of, I don't know, pricey special effects. I mean, we, we touched on the, uh, or what I consider to be the substandard. Uh, computer-generated effects last week. Um, So maybe that was an example of an aspect of production that's suffering. Uh, So, yeah, moving on elsewhere in your email, The Commitment's Nanny, uh, that's the uh, actress who played Sonia, the Irish nanny last season, who was in The Commitment's film. Um, I don't really know what happened to her, I guess. um, Well, things seem to be on fairly good terms at the end of last season, but I don't know. Things change. Uh, I guess she could have been mentioned, a small nod, just to let us know what happened to her. But I guess it's just a a, a very minor thread that, that the writers have dropped. Um, I don't think we'll hold that one against them. And your comments about the series as a whole, possibly going on for another couple of season, seasons. It's always been a criticism against Dexter, the show, that they've got all these serial killers in one city. And yeah, it does stretch the the boundaries of plausibility and believability i guess 
I don't know if it's too late now for the show to relocate for Dexter maybe to have some reason to uh, to leave the city I suppose at the end of the day we've just got to accept that this is how it is this is the show and um, you know this is the formula and it's the show we uh, we know and love does that count as our first interruption it was a car not an aircraft <laughs> so maybe just take half a sip okay thanks Daniel Next, we go to a voicemail from our old friend Travis, who was uh, a mainstay of the podcast last season, and it's good to have him back. Uh, I don't think he's got any connection with his namesake in the show, so um, I think we're on safe ground. Although, who knows? <laughs> he's not been afraid of controversy. So, uh, he actually sent in two voicemails um, this time, um, but the first voicemail was sent in prior to episode two airing. Uh, so, as such, he refers to... Uh, well, it's feedback for the feedback, and I'll let Travis do the rest of the talking. Uh, hey, Gareth, this is Travis. I just wanted to call in and leave some feedback, I guess, for the feedback for the podcast that you already did for uh, the premiere of season six. I initially didn't call in because I don't think I had anything uh, unique or interesting to say. I thought everyone else would cover it, and for the most part, they did. But there were two things that I wanted to mention that I don't think other people brought up. Uh, firstly, I agree with your UK listener that said that, uh, the first kill of the episode was undexter-like or maybe even amateurish on the writer's part. I hesitate to, to call it amateurish because I don't think, I'm not sure I could do any better. So I don't want to be pointing fingers, but, uh, it was, didn't seem very realistic if you could ever call Dexter a realistic show. I mean, Dexter leaves his voice, you know, for the 911 dispatch to record. He calls them telling them exactly where he's going to kill these two dudes. And then also, I'm not too familiar with police procedure, but I believe that if someone calls in saying they got stabbed, I think a patrol unit would show up as well. Like the police and paramedics would show up. Uh, apparently Dexter didn't have to worry about that. But I I didn't want to talk about that. I actually want to talk about the second kill of the episode against jo Joe Walker. Um, I was, I would maybe even call that amateurish. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I don't like saying that, but uh, just in that it, it, Firstly, seems sort of like fan service, like Scott Buck was perhaps living out some sort of fantasy through it. Like, oh, Dexter was a nerd in high school and he kills the mean, abusive jock and he hooks up with the beautiful prom queen. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. kind of makes me roll my eyes. But that wasn't the worst part. The worst part is, you know, Dexter steals this woman's cell phone, texts Joe saying, meet me here in parentheses so I can kill you. And uh, he goes there. If this were the real world, I imagine a scenario such as this would happen. Hey, Joe Walker's missing. Let's file a missing persons report. Then the, after a while, the police are like, hey, let's check his phone records. Oh, well, it seems the last time he talked to anyone was this Trisha girl at his reunion. Let's talk to her. Trisha says, yeah, I lost my phone. I don't know where it went. Last time I had it was after I gave a blowjob to Dexter Morgan. And now suddenly Dexter's talking to the police. Now, of course, I don't think there's anything incriminating against Dexter. They certainly couldn't convict him of anything because of that. But, you know, why would he want to show up on the police radar at all? I don't know. Uh, this is certainly a far cry away from the Dexter we saw in Season 3, who didn't want to kill Billy Fleeter because he thought maybe somebody might have recognized Miguel. He's not, not being very careful. Uh, lastly, I just wanted to point out, perhaps I think it was the same UK listener that thinks that Professor Geller, Edward James Olmos's character, is sort of uh travis marshall's mentor his like his hairy figure i i would even go further than that i think geller is very much travis marshall's hairy figure in that he doesn't even exist i think he's all in travis marshall's head much like harry's in dexter's head if you watch the scenes 
when they're in the rowboat together, he's not rowing. He's not picking up the snake. When they're in the car together, he's in the passenger seat. He's not driving. I think it's all in, in his head. Or that is, say, Colin Hanks's head. Um, I, of course, I could be proven wrong this next episode. I don't, you know, I'll, of course, I'll admit if I'm proven wrong. I can't lie. But part of me kind of wishes I am wrong because I'd hate to have guessed like some big season twist this early. However, if I'm right, I guess that's kind of cool. I guess for me, I can have bragging rights. But regardless, I just wanted to say those things, man. Thanks, Travis. Good to have you back. Uh, your point there about the first kill being undexter-like and perhaps unrealistic. I've got to agree with you, certainly to a large extent. And we talked about the the controversy that was raised by um, our caller last week, uh, Matthew, I think it was, who questioned uh, Dexter taking this big risk and uh, the possible implications of an investigation into the disappearance of these paramedics. I think, honestly, I don't like to knock the show too much, but looking at it objectively, I think it was maybe a cheap way of just making an impact at the beginning of the new season. Kind of an oh-my-God moment. And uh, it certainly was, but, you know, as we sort of take a step back and think about it, we can pick holes in it. And, uh, well, I'm too much of a fan of the show to hold it against it really but i hope we don't get too many of these unfortunately though you then go on to talk about the joe walker kill and you're absolutely right sort of picking up what matthew said about the paramedic double kill and the phone records um you're quite right there'd be text message records yeah joe walker goes missing someone reports him missing uh, they start to investigate they check his phone records they see that he received a text from uh, Trisha was her name, wasn't it, from her number. She then says, oh, well, my phone went missing while I was at the reunion. And who knows? Then they start start asking questions about people at the reunion. They may ask Trisha, who were you hanging around with that might have had an opportunity to take your phone? And next thing, they're knocking on Dexter's door. Uh, and then finally, you mention uh, Professor Geller and how he could be Travis's Harry, which is a good theory. I like it. There was the theory last week about um, whether Harry could be a ghost and whether maybe um, Geller could be something similar. And I like that theory. I really do. We've not seen we've not seen anyone else interact with Geller yet. It's too early to say, but it's certainly an interesting theory. OK, so we'll hear from Travis again in a minute. We'll move on to the feedback for episode two. First of all, uh, I had a tweet from Ferretbite, who was um, a contributor last season as well. It's Abe from Mexico, who says, I know it's only been two episodes in, but I'm really enjoying this season. Feels like it's back to what made it great in the first place. And that was a nice comment. It's, yeah, we're two episodes in, and, and I'm really enjoying it. I like some of the elements that feel like a return to the old Dexter, the old the, the Dexter that's sure of himself, sure of his place in the world although as we're seeing he's maybe starting on a path into a, a, an arena he's never seriously considered before and almost or been completely dismissive of and that's religion or certainly some kind of spirituality but you know i'm sure we'll talk about that subject to death over the next uh, what 10 weeks that we've got left in the in the season so we'll go back to travis now who sent in a second voicemail after the episode aired. 
Hey Gareth, this is Travis. I just wanted to call in and leave some quick feedback for the second episode of this season, Once Upon a Time. I've already left uh, some stupid late feedback uh, for the last episode, so I don't want to take up any more time than is necessary. Uh, it seems that my theory regarding Professor Geller not being real, being in Travis's imagination, I mean, it's still holding up. We see he's still remaining largely hands-off of everything that's going on. Uh, so, I mean, I could be... It looks like it could still be right, but, I, you know, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I mean, I, I believe in the official press release, Showtime, uh, when they announced Edward James almost joining the cast, Showtime said that his character was supposed to be some charismatic professor. Uh, so, I mean, maybe we just haven't seen him be charismatic or professor yet, you know? I, I'm probably reading too much into this. I'm the first to admit, I'm a total jackass. Uh... So, who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Secondly, uh, this episode introduced uh, Brother Sam as a character. He seems to be the first truly positive portrayal of religion uh, for this season, or perhaps for the series. Uh, he was supposedly a killer. Now, by all accounts, he's supposedly been changed by religion, and Dexter seeing that. Um, sh showing religion in a positive light could either be good or bad, depending on which side of the religious debate you happen to fall on. And I'm not even going to attempt to open up that can of worms right here. Uh, just suffice to say, uh, Dexter's fascinated by this guy, I guess. Uh, if I was going to have some conjecture, make some predictions about what's going to happen, uh, just based on what we're seeing here, it almost seems like Dexter and most deaf are going to become like besties. They're going to be like BFFs this season. And if, I mean, if I'm being honest, and if I'm right about this prediction, I'm kind of sick of seeing that. I mean, ever since season two, it's Dexter, the format is Dexter befriends the guest star of the season, and then they leave. Uh, you know, it happened with Lila, Miguel, Trinity, Lumen. You know, I don't know. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe most deaf th throws for a curveball and that fool die in like uh, three episodes or something. I don't know. I just, I'm just kind of tired of watching him make friends. Anyway, uh, I think that's it. Uh, so here's to hoping I'm wrong about everything. Here's to hoping Showtime makes me look like an idiot and that everyone everyone can say what a dummy I am. Uh, so keep up the good work, Gareth. Love the podcast. Thanks again, Travis. You uh, sort of take your Geller theory a step further there and, and mention how he picked up the head and see if he was a, a ghost, then um, how would he be able to take on any physical form and you can say it kind of puts pay to the Geller is a ghost theory. Um, but also we saw Harry holding a toy in that scene in, in Harrison's bedroom with Dexter. Uh, a toy car. I went back and rewatched it and indeed he was. And I I don't know if that's the first time we've seen Harry physically interact with an object. Again, if it is a manifestation of a part of Dexter's psyche, then... You know, he, he visualises Harry. Uh, and who's to say he wouldn't visualise Harry interacting with an object? Uh, I mean, we didn't see Harry pick it up. He's just sat there holding it. You know, without going back and re-watching a, a couple of dozen Dexter episodes, I can't say whether this is the first time we've seen Harry holding something. Uh, I, I feel sure we may have seen him leaning on things before. Maybe, you know, interacting with the physical world in that kind of way. But who's to say if... Harry isn't simply a, a visualisation of a part of Dexter's psyche that Dexter wouldn't imagine him sort of, well, yeah, at the risk of repeating the word, interacting with um, the, the physical environment. So I guess we can say the jury's still out, really. And Brother Sam, 
yeah, I too am intrigued by this character. And it's interesting how they're showing religion as helping reform criminals. Although you obviously have your reservations about Dexter getting another buddy. It's a well-trodden formula for the show. But, I mean, clearly this season Brother Sam brings something fresh to the table. Um, I mean, you could argue that all Dexter's previous buddies have brought something new to the show. They've had something new to offer. So, I don't know. I don't have a problem with um, Brother Sam's introduction. And if he lasts one season, then so be it. If, if he serves to further Dexter's character, helps to move him along on his, on, on his sort of character journey, his personal journey, then, then that's a good thing f- for me anyway. Travis also emailed in uh, to follow up on his voicemail to say, uh, inconsequential, but something I forgot to mention in my feedback. I felt sorry for Quinn. Maybe it's the romantic in me, but I don't like watching people get their hearts broken. This is like the third time we've seen Deb stay with Dexter as she looks for a new place to live. Perhaps she should start having men move in with her instead of the other way round. This way, when Deb and the man invariably break up, she'll no longer have this problem. Well, I'm not 100% sure if Deb and Quinn have broken up, whether they're just on a bit of a hiatus, whether Quinn will come round and say, OK, look, I'm sorry, I've put this pressure on you. Um, let's try and get back to how things were. Uh, that may still happen. Um, Quinn really seemed to be in a, a much better place than sort of 12, 15 months earlier. So, um, you know, he may want to, he may value that more than his pride and um, sort of try and make amends and, and reel her back in. We'll see what happens with that. Okay. Oh, and by the way, Travis, stop putting yourself down, mate. <laughs> I really appreciate your feedback. As I say, you were a mainstay last season and um, I enjoy hearing from you. So, um, you know, don't pull yourself down. <laughs> Next email is from Dave Esposito in the USA, who just emails in with a theory. And he says this. Batista finds out about Dexter. Deborah is promoted to lieutenant instead of Batista. LaGuerta gets murdered. Batista is a suspect because he wasn't promoted and they got divorced. Dexter tells Batista he will help him not to get in trouble if he promises to keep what he learned about Dexter between them. Basically, I just combed... No, sorry, he says, Basically, I just combined a bunch of theories I heard on your podcast. I'm not confident on the last part about how Dexter ties into it, but I think that LaGuerta getting killed, Deborah getting promoted instead of Batista, and Batista becoming a suspect is a possible storyline. I'm writing this before seeing episode two, so some of this could be proven or disproven, which is dumb, because I, I could just go watch it now, but for some reason, I don't like feel wait, I don't feel like waiting to send this. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Sorry, I made a bit of a hash of reading that. Partly is my lunch repeating on me, and partly my ineptitude at, at reading. Um, <laughs> I don't think your theories are too far out there. Obviously, as you now know, Deborah is indeed promoted to lieutenant. And if you watched the uh, the, the big season six trailer over the summer, Deborah was referred to as Lieutenant Morgan. So um, they did kind of spoil that. Uh, so I did have foreknowledge uh, of, of that happening. Um, and we, we did talk about that in the season six preview show with uh, Matt and Axel. I wouldn't bet against LaGuerta not surviving the season. Maybe Batista will be a suspect. Maybe Matthews will be a suspect. Maybe Dexter will get some involvement and help 
uh, frame Matthews. I don't know. There, there is still clearly that great animosity between Matthews and LaGuerta. So, um, yeah, that sets up a few possibilities. Okay, next email is from Mark Belecki in Jacksonville, Florida. He says, Hi Gareth, enjoy the podcast. Got into it a few months ago while watching season five on DVD. Some thoughts on the first two episodes. I liked the light atmosphere of the first episode. Nice to see a kill where he's not on the brink of getting caught. One thing that was interesting was how, even after all this time, Dexter still has so many situations where he can't fit in. He goes to a reunion, yet is amazed that people want to catch up. He visits a Catholic school, yet is thrown off when the admissions lady asks him about his religion. With the first rule of the code being, don't get caught, you'd think he'd be better prepared for how not to stick out so much, but it shows how incapable he is of acting normal in many capacities. One weak part of that episode was the premise of how he caught the jock, blood under the fingernails that was part of the DNA on file. But they never checked it against the husband. He would be the first they'd check. Okay, I'll just jump in there, Mark, because um, you, you have a few other points, uh, just so I don't lose my thread. Um, you're right. Uh, you would have thought Dexter by now would know that he doesn't always... He doesn't always fit in with certain situations and maybe he should have been better prepared with some answers to potential questions at the uh, the Catholic school. I mean, he's an intelligent guy, he's not an idiot, and he knows how uncomfortable he's been in other situations. You'd have thought he'd have had a few responses up his sleeve, or maybe Deb could have prepped him a little bit uh, in anticipation of what might have come up. But I suppose we should at least give Dexter some credit for not lying. And you bring up yet another great point about that first episode this season. We've we've kind of been picking it apart a bit, haven't we? And, um, you know, I mean, that, that's what this show's all about. It's, we, we shouldn't just uh, all be fanboys or fangirls and, and sing its praises no matter what. Uh, the show's dissecting Dexter and, you know, if we um, if we dissect something that doesn't quite ring true, then we should talk about that as well. You're absolutely right. The blood under the fingernails, it was in the report. So why didn't they why didn't they check the husband? You're right. When someone dies, quite often the spouse and the the close relatives are the first people that get spoken to. So why wouldn't that have come up? I guess another shortcoming of that episode and dare I say it, another example of the writers being a bit sloppy. Oh boy. <laughs> It doesn't bode well, does it? But hopefully they'll uh, they'll pull it back. Okay, so Mark goes on to say, I like the development of the Angel character this year. You have to think he's headed for a bad place and maybe the one to start suspecting Dexter. And he lists a couple of reasons. The proximity with his sister watching Harrison. And the possible jealousy towards Deb getting his promotion. Angel has always been a noble character, but maybe the divorce and not getting that promotion could start a downward spiral. Brother Sam appears to be the one that Dexter studies this year to learn from. A former killer that repents and suppresses his dark passenger, with help from religion to boot. One part that threw me off was how openly Sam shared his past with someone who he questioned being there three minutes earlier. Maybe that openness contributes to what intrigues Dexter. Thanks for the forum and looking forward to the next episode. Thanks, Mark. Always good to hear from first-time contributors and hear your sort of fresh ideas. Um, so thanks for, for dropping me a line. Your comments there about Angel. It's it's nice to hear some people jumping to Angel's defence. 
he got, well, he and LaGuerta got a lot of flack last year. And to an extent, the season before, although I wasn't podcasting about season four at the time. Uh, that will come, <laughs> but probably, well, God knows when. I mean, I'm I'm doing the rewatch podcast, but it's slow going. <laughs> but I will get there, and I'm looking forward to it, because that will be fantastic, going into all the Trinity stuff. But I digress, just for a change. Yeah, Angel has always been a very noble character, kind of your go-to guy. He's reliable, trustworthy. I've always, I've always liked him. He seems to have had great integrity. Well, we've talked about the possibility of him being the one this year to suspect Dexter. And I do welcome that, although I would then fear for his safety. I don't know whether the jealousy about Deb would contribute towards that, though, because he's he's been a kind of big brother for her, um, kind of an extra big brother. And he's always he's always had Deb's back and he knows it's not it's not Deb's fault that she's now been promoted. He knows he's been a pawn in a game. He knows it all boils, boils down to the um, the war between Matthews and LaGuerta. He's more likely to have animosity towards LaGuerta than anybody. So, you know, if anything happens to LaGuerta, then I guess he's... I think it's pretty certain he's more likely to be a suspect uh, in that. And your comment there about Brother Sam, that surprised me how open he was saying that he'd killed somebody to essentially a stranger, a customer who's brought his car to be fixed at his garage. Yeah, that was surprising. But maybe this openness, cards on the table kind of thing is is part of his shtick now. He's found God and this is how he deals with it. Rather than hiding his darkness, uh, he mentioned the battle he has with, with his darkness. And maybe this is part of his way of dealing with it in that he doesn't hide it. He's He's open about it rather than letting it control him and, and force him to hide. This is this is his way of, of combating it. OK, let's move on. We've had an email from uh, our caller last week, whose name I got completely wrong. I got the first letter right, it was a J. <laughs> but his name's Josh, and he's, em- he's rung in again with another call, and this time he hasn't been cut off. So, over to you, Josh. Hey, Gareth. Um, I mean, I got cut off last week. Uh, my name's actually Josh. Yeah. So we go. Um, you don't have to apologize for anything, really. I didn't know how long the uh, message was going to be recorded for. So it's no big deal. All right, so I just watched the um, last episode of Dexter that just came on a couple minutes ago. And, um, well, I'll go over what I think about Harry being a ghost. I always thought he was a part of Dexter's psyche, but some of the things he said to Dexter can that really be all of Dexter's idea of what Harry was doing to him. Back in season five, Harry told him, Dexter, that he was proud of him for putting himself out there for Aster. And can Dexter's psyche give him football tips? I mean, and the relationship between the two seems very personal and emotional. So you need to believe that Harry is actually talking to Dex somehow. I mean, it's not something that the writers will or need to explain, as it's a good, well, lack for a better word, a good plot device. It really helps kind of move the story along and give us a perspective on you know, Dex, what are you thinking? You mentioned that um, some of your fans were kind of criticizing David Zayas and Angel's his char- uh, character Angel. I don't think he deserves harsh criticism. Angel is an excellent character in the first two seasons, maybe even three seasons, but getting him involved in relationships ruined his character for me, too. Angel is a dedicated officer, 
and is even more dedicated to his family in Miami Metro. I've always felt like he's a strong character. The show sucks when the writers start writing relationships. They're always disruptful to the show and end within a season or two. They've proven this again in this season. If Devin and Quinn split, why do you ever bother caring about them? Why, why do they put us through season five with them if they're just going to break them up the next season? Happens with Devin and all our boyfriends. Why should they care? Devin has a little new love interest every season, and they spend a lot of time building upon them just for them to end. And it's getting ridiculous as we do it every season. So I can't say that I can't say that I'm surprised that Devin and Quinn split or are going to split. Whatever, it's up in the air right now. I guess this show has the worst relationships. That isn't Dexter and Rita. Everything else has kind of sucked, and I would not blame Sayus for that. The crappy writing. When it comes to relationships, everything else is usually pretty good. Anyways, in the uh, latest episode, uh, Brother Sam's definitely a cool character. I don't think he's going to end up on the table, but I also don't think that Dexter is completely convinced that Sam is a changed man. I'm pretty sure that he feels that monsters can't change because he's been trying to become more human for the last, um, four years? Something like that, whatever, since he started watching him. And he's always been hunted, hunted by his dark passenger. He doesn't think anyone can change. They're a monster. And the Matthews LaGuerta storyline is just way... It's tired. It's played out. Uh, I'm glad that Doug got to look at that job because of Matthews, kind of. I mean, she's a great cop, but I mean, obviously, it's Matthews will have getting back at LaGuerta. But I really hope they step it up. This rivalry between them is totally played out. Well, that's all my thoughts. Thanks again for extending the listener line. I really don't want to ramble on, but I have something to say. Last thing is, go dab. Okay, thanks for calling again and, and for forgiving me for getting your name wrong. I'm glad that you've expanded on your thoughts about Harry. And you're right, would just a, a, a part of Dexter's psyche give him tips on football? Would he tell him that he was proud for putting himself out for someone like he did in season five last year? You know, you you make a reasonable argument. I think you're right. We'll probably never get an answer, and it's probably probably best that we don't. I still lean towards it being part of Dexter's psyche, but I think it's fair to say, on balance, it's open to interpretation. And who's to say either of us have the right answer? But it's you know, it's fun to talk about your comments there about Dexter the TV show uh, and that it sucks when portraying relationships yeah i think you can kind of blame the well you can you have to blame the writers i don't think it's any fault of the actors what they do with deb and quinn i don't know we'd got to the point or i had where i i cared about them i wouldn't say that the show began and ended with their relationship Uh, i certainly care about deb a lot more than i do quinn but i think well i talked about that he'd, he'd scored a lot of points with me throughout last season as he um as his character took that journey and he seems to be in this kind of um sort of lovesick puppy <laughs> this sort of lovesick puppy ken doll mode <laughs> at least she's with someone now who's uh, a little bit more interesting than that anton uh god remember him oh, dull as dishwater but okay so 
Yeah, I mean, the writers excel with Dexter's character journey and the psychology side of things, but, yeah, I guess not so good at, at portraying the relationships. Maybe they needed, uh, what was her name? Melissa Rosenberg, was it, who um, used to write on the show and uh, has gone on to write the uh, the Twilight films or write the screenplays. Maybe they could have done with her back. You mentioned Matthews and LaGuerta and how that is pretty much played out, in your opinion. Yeah, they've... They've had this this animosity right from season one. And, yeah, you could say it's gone on long enough. But, I don't know, maybe... Well, the, the dynamic has changed a bit now. Although he's still her superior, she's moved up the ladder a bit now, as is he. So, I don't know, maybe that provides some more interesting possibilities, perhaps. I use the word interesting kind of loosely because uh, I, I remain a little bit sceptical. But who knows, maybe LaGuerta can do something to sabotage Matthews this season and get him out, and maybe uh, pave the way for her own further advancement. So thanks, Josh. OK, an email now. Kathy in the Isle of Wight has emailed in to say, Hi, Gareth, just finished watching episode two. A little slower than the premiere, but still very enjoyable. I especially like the character brother Sam. Get the feeling he'll be some kind of mentor to Dexter during this season, as he seems very interested how someone similar to himself uses his religious beliefs to fight his dark side, as it were. Which Dexter finds this rather intriguing, especially as he's struggling to understand the point of religion at this point. Also ties in nicely, of course, with the main storyline with Colin Hanks' character Travis. I must admit, Travis so creeped me out last week, but now realising he's a follower rather than a leader and although obviously still a freak. He seems a bit pathetic. I'm a bit disappointed, but there's time for him to get more psycho, I guess. Also, good to see the old Deb back, especially with the fuckballs comment with Matthews. Excellent. Have enjoyed your podcast since season four and hope the weather for this season isn't as bad as I remember listening to you in December when it was like minus 20 in the UK and you sat in your car. Now that's commitment. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Thanks, Cathy. Yes, indeed. Well... Committed indeed. Maybe I should have been committed for sitting in a, a sub-zero vehicle. Who knows? Would I be the first podcaster to get hypothermia while recording? <laughs> but to uh, address your email, you echo a lot of my thoughts, really, with regard to Brother Sam and how Dexter can learn a lot from him. Um, even if he doesn't pick up religion as such, he could still learn some things from him. Hope to hear from you again, Cathy. Thanks for emailing. Another voicemail now. Ian from Bristol has called in again, and uh, this voicemail comes with a very small spoiler for Californication. I think this spoiler is for season two, if I remember rightly, uh, so just be forewarned, there's a small spoiler in here for that show. Take it away, Ian. Hi, Gareth, it's Ian from Bristol again. Um, I've just got a few comments on Dexter Series 6, Episode 2. So my, my first comment is, is, do you think that Dexter's taking more risks? Um, in this episode, he damages his car specifically so he can take it um, to the repair shop. Um, but surely, if he intends to kill Brother Sam, then it would the car being in his repair shop would kind of link Dexter to the to the crime scene, um, which seems very odd to me. Um, and also tied in with his mobile phone faux pas that he made last week, uh, I just assumed that it was a disposable pay-as-you-go cheap phone, um, and hence it was um, you know going to be just get thrown away. Um, but it could be he's taking more risks, especially if you consider that last week the jock almost got him um, when he tried to when he did kill the jock, um, and he was almost caught by Brother Sam this week. So 
So I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to uh, make a few mistakes and end up in trouble in some way. Um, so there could be something interesting there. Um, there was a nice quote from Dexter this week um, when Debs told him about Quinn's proposal. And he said, uh, Quinn as Debs' boyfriend is one thing, uncle to my son over his dead body. Um, with the emphasis on his dead body. So that's quite nice. Um, moving on to Masuka now. Um, there seems to be a lot more to his new intern, um, Ryan, I think it is, than meets the eye. Um, she s- seems to have sussed Masuka really quickly. Um, she knows exactly what kind of person he is. And in fact, the, the relationship reminds me very much of the one between uh, Runkle and his secretary in Californication uh, a few seri- seasons, seasons ago. Um, but that ended up whereby she eventually blackmailed him and stole his job. So perhaps a parallel storyline for Masuka and Ryan. I don't know. Um, this episode seemed to focus on Debs quite a lot. Um, I, I particularly liked her, her classic swearing this week, um, her surprise at being made lieutenant. Um, Fuck balls, you're serious. Um, I'll try and use that one if I can. Um, but it looks like she's been set up to fail. Um, she doesn't have a lot of confidence from the people above her, um, but she does seem to have some support from Angel. In fact, I thought um, that um, the acting in that particular scene where she tells Angel over the coffee, I thought that was that was quite played quite well and and, and low key um it was all done with with gestures and and kind of um um all the subtle um acting skills so i thought that's quite good um i think that um Debs is going to have a really difficult series this series but uh, hopefully she'll do harry proud and, and be a good lieutenant um i wonder what quinn is going to do now he's i think he might become a bit of a loose cannon he's obviously a bit of a lover spurned um, and especially finding out about Debs' promotion in public like that. Um, I wonder if that's going to make him uh, lose control a little bit, so interested to see what happens there. Um, moving on to uh, Professor Geller and Travis. Um, I think this, this moved a little bit more forward to the plot here. Uh, not too far, but just enough to kind of keep it moving along. Uh, and it's interesting to see uh, Travis's sister and the punishment that he received for not keeping his appointment um, it was also interesting that Travis's sister was told off very quickly for swearing, total opposite to uh, to Debs. Um, that was quite interesting. If you remember my comment from last week, I hypothesised that um, Professor Geller could well be a ghost or a dark passenger. I'm not sure if this is correct, as in this episode we saw him actually interacting with something. He wasn't just stood there. Um, but then I know also noted that Harry also interacted with... Um, some of Harrison's toys as well. So perhaps um, these dark passengers can interact with objects. I don't know. But I've not seen any spoilers, so I don't know if I'm wrong or right. But I'll just be interested to see what happens over the this, 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 this story. Overall, I thought it was a, another good episode. Um, I think the pacing's a lot better this season than last season. Um, they seem to be drip-feeding all the different threads along all at the same pace. So hopefully, uh, over the length of the series, we'll see some of those threads come to fruition and see what happens. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what happens in the rest of the series. So uh, keep up the good comments, Gareth, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Dexter taking more risks. Yeah, a lot more. I mean, I I guess he takes a risk every time he stalks and kills somebody. But he's certainly done a couple of things this season already that potentially expose him in a serious way. We've already talked about last week's happenings, but... In episode two, bumping his own car and taking it into a workshop where he possibly intends to kill somebody, kill the proprietor. You know, if Brother Sam had turned up dead, would they look through the records and see who's recently checked in 
checked in their vehicle, um, would that be one of the things the police would look at in an investigation? I would have thought so. And you mentioned the mobile phone from last week. Uh, yeah, I guess it's more than likely it was a throwaway, probably a, you know one of these pay-as-you-go ones. Um, but even so, there'd be a voice recording. Uh, they'd they'd attend the scene, and well, I don't want to repeat myself. We talked about it last week, but definitely questionable. Uh, who knows? Some of these mistakes may come back to bite him. Ryan, yeah, I think she's sus Masuka pretty quickly. He's it's not hard, is it? <laughs> not hard to do so. Uh, and you you make the uh, the comparison there with Runkle from Californication. I'm I don't want to say intrigued by the Ryan Masuka thing. I think they could well be the comic relief and if they can provide a lead or two for the case, then all the better. I don't know whether this is going to be more a case of giving Masuka something to do. Maybe it'll give him something interesting for him as a character and uh maybe having him fall for this girl. Deb's promotion, you wonder whether she's being set up to fail. I hope not. Because he, uh, she is Matthew's, Matthew's girl. Really, it was he, she was Matthew's choice, not Laguerta's. Laguerta wanted Batista. Now, just saying that, will Laguerta try and sabotage Deb so that she fails, and then it falls? You know, it's on Matthew's shoulders, and she'll say, "Well, I wanted Angel in the role. I didn't want Deb. Um, I told you so," sort of thing. So maybe Laguerta will try and undermine Deb, try and hamstring her a bit. Uh, that might be the way it goes. But I don't think Matthews has set her up to fail. Quinn could be a loose cannon now, possibly. I don't know whether... My gut feeling is that he's he's come sufficiently far along this road of improvement that he'll be a bit more grounded about it and won't just go all lover scorn sort of thing. There's some good points again, Ian. Thanks very much for calling in. OK, now... This email is from a UK listener, Gary Sutton, who emails in with this. Here are my humble thoughts on this week's episode of Dexter. I think they're lining up Deb and or Batista to find out about Dexter's dark side, particularly with Deb now becoming lieutenant. This discovery may put her in a difficult position, and she may have to choose between career and family. Plus, would this discovery hamper her career in Miami PD? If Batista finds out, he could he use this information to leverage his way into the lieutenant's seat? Though I think this goes against his nature and character to do this. Linked to this, are they making a big deal about Daddy's box? And I wonder whether this will lead to Dexter's secret being known. Will Harrison talk or show Daddy's box to Batista's sister? Will she then show Batista? Will Deb, who is now living with Dexter, find out about Daddy's box? If any of the writers have read the Dexter novels, then they may decide to follow their lead and have Deb understanding and accepting of Dexter's secret, though it may take an event, possible kidnapping of her by Professor and Travis may be, to facilitate this. The dynamic between Travis and his sister reminded me of Dexter and Deb. Travis's and Dexter's monotone answers are very similar. And I wonder whether the writers are trying to show similarities between Dexter and Travis, but obviously have them going down different paths. Finally, Brother Sam. I think he's taking the classic mentor role in this season, following on from Brian, Rudy, Lila, Miguel and Trinity. Whereas season five turned, in, turned the mentor theme on its head and had Dexter as the mentor to Lumen. I wonder whether the writers have looked back at what worked during past seasons and have fitted these into the storylines for this season. 
That's all I can think of at the moment. Keep up the good work with the podcasts. I love listening to them on my way to work each week. Thanks, Gary. Some good points there. I understand you did try and make uh, a voicemail instead of an email, but uh, (laughs) eight minutes was too long to email. Um, If you do find that the file size is too big to email, you can always use one of these um, services like sendspace.com where you can upload a file uh, and then I'll get an email and I can download the file from them. Uh, You could try that perhaps. Okay, so your thoughts. This whole Batista finding out about Dexter thing really is gathering momentum amongst uh, myself and, and listeners to the podcast. It could be that Batista gets wind of something and maybe uses it to uh, force Deborah to step down. It would certainly be against the character that's been established so far in the last five and a bit seasons. Um, but who knows, you know, we can all change uh, and not always for the better. Yeah, they did make a big thing about Daddy's Box this episode. It was mentioned more than once. And I really do think it's foreshadowing that Harrison will maybe point to the aircon unit and have uh, Batista's sister discover it. Now, here's a thought. Remember the trailer that we talked about on the conference call with Matt and Axel? And I think it was Matt that had speculated during one of the trailers we see someone's hand running over the box of blood slides and that Matt thought it was uh, female fingers. And at the time I thought maybe it was uh, Dexter's hand. Could it have been Jamie's fingers? Now there's a thought. That kind of that kind of fits in, doesn't it? Especially with what... With Harrison saying, Daddy's box, Daddy's box. And, yeah, definite possibility. Maybe that could be the bold prediction for this season. Elaborating on the Batista finding out theory. In that Harrison, wouldn't that be ironic? Harrison pointing Jamie to the bloodslides and dobbing in his own dad. Bloody hell. And then Jamie, well, the only person she'd turn to with it would be Batista, wouldn't it? Oh dear. (laughs) I like it. You drew a similarity between Travis and his sister and Dexter and Deborah. I think that the big similarity at the moment is uh, both both men have a dark secret and a dark hidden agenda that their sisters are oblivious to. Uh, Whether there'll be more similarities that will crop up as we go along, uh, we shall find out. And your final point there about whether the writers have looked back at what worked during previous seasons. I like to think so. I think that would um, that would make sense, that they've gone back and uh, and revisited the old episodes and, yeah, looked at what what worked and what didn't. And let's just think of one of the big things that worked. Remember the end of season four and what happened to Rita? Killing off a big character? Tie that in with Harrison leading to... Jamie and then Batista finding out about Dexter could Batista be the one not to survive the season yeah lots to think about thanks for that Gary hey everyone Matt from London here again I just thought I'd throw my thoughts in about this episode love the kill this week it was really interesting to see Dexter set out to kill one guy and finding a different target instead Uh, a little bit like season 3 but without the uh, blood filled end to a partially innocent man 
Uh, Dexter and Harrison's bedtime routine was really heartwarming, made me smile. Uh, Dexter using the story of Little Chino as a bedtime story. Creepy, but uh, it was also kind of lovely. Um, the, one of the main things that really annoyed me was Quinn's proposal. I just I didn't like the fact that Deb didn't get pissed off that he put the ring in the fridge. When your previous fiancé was the ice truck killer, the last place you'd want to find the ring is in the bloody fridge. Or if she wasn't going to get annoyed to him, she could at least make a joke to Dexter about it. You know, guess where the brainless fuck puddle decided to put the ring kind of thing. Oh, and another thing was Deb shooting. Just seemed like a real clean cut, nice and quick, done sort of thing. Um, I just felt like it really didn't need it to be seen if it was just about, you know, making her lieutenant. I mean, if you look at her profile, she handled the ice truck killer investigation, played a key role in locating the Bay Harbor Butcher, single-handedly found and caught the Skinner, brought Trinity to everyone's investigation, and single-handedly solved, solved the Battle Girls case. Could she really have looked any better? especially when you compare it to Batista, who's a great cop and nice guy, but his record is awful. Accusations of sexual assault, cruising for hookers, several accounts of violence and misconduct. The whole Maria thing wouldn't look good either. A little bit stupid to need the bar shootout after all, but I'm not, I'm not one of the show writers, so maybe they know what they're doing. I couldn't help but laugh at Deb's reaction when Matthews told her that he wanted her as his lieutenant. Fuck balls, you're serious. Creative swearing as ever. Um, I forgot to say last week that I felt like Michael C. Hall and Jennifer Carpenter's chemistry as brother and sister was a little bit off, like you could hear their divorce in the air. But uh, this week, I felt it was more natural, a testament to their acting ability. I honestly doubt that I could look that comfortable in front of my ex. Now, I know I've been rambling on quite a bit, but last week, um, Gareth, you brought up Harry in the last podcast. And I just wanted to throw my thoughts in the mix. It's just well, I don't think Harry's an actual ghost. If he was, uh, then he'd be disgusted with Dexter's nighttime hobby, shall we say. I mean, he killed himself when he walked in on Dexter killing Juan Jimenez or something. I don't remember his name. Um, he might have trained Dexter and given him the knife, but he wouldn't condone killing after that. Personally, I reckon Harry is a representative of whatever nature Dexter isn't portraying at the moment. When he's wrapped up in his humanity like when he was arrested for losing his temper in season four, Harry reverted to a strict of the code persona. And when he was wrapped in his passenger in darkness, Harry becomes the humanity Dexter is blocking out. I also think that Harry, in the case of season five's Teenage Wasteland episode, is whatever Dexter needs him to be at the time, uh, a comforting voice to let him know that what he did um, was the right thing, you know, in, in attacking the guy and defending his stepdaughter and displaying genuine um, unpracticed emotion. Uh, apart from that, I haven't really got anything else to say. Um, the two new killers were creeping me out a little bit, and the mannequins were a little bit eerie. I'd uh, like to see what's coming up with them. Obviously, it's going to be something very creepy. Who knows? I'll stay tuned and um, really enjoying everything. See you guys soon. Bye. Thanks, Matt. Good call again. Good to hear from you again. Your point about Batista, I think I was probably... Maybe I was a bit too quick to say that he's he's got this immense integrity and and whatnot because really his track record is a little bit checkered, isn't it? He's been shown to have a bit of a temper. His relationship with Laguerta wasn't a hundred percent professional, shall we say? Um, well, probably less professional for Laguerta as his superior. 
But I don't think anyone can argue that Batista's heart is in the right place and his colleagues will always consider him to be the sort of guy that's going to have your back and uh, give you his support and, and pretty much be relied upon to do the right thing, as he showed last season when he backed up Deborah with that nightclub shooting. So I still stand by Batista being a good guy, and I'm I'm sure you agree, but yeah, you're right. His, his track record has been a little bit checkered. And your comments there about Harry, uh, some really good elaboration really on my belief that Harry represents a chunk of Dexter's psyche and you put it in a much more detailed and in a, in a very good way. So uh, I appreciate that, your, your thoughts really as I say, an elaboration of, of my own. Uh, so thanks for that. And, and thanks for the call. OK, so that's all we've got this week. Listener lines then. In the US, it's 646-222-6122. And in the UK, it's 0844-579-6949. And with the UK line, you enter mailbox ID 08320 when the voice prompts you. You can also contact me on Twitter, it's at Dissect Dexter, or my personal Twitter, which is at Gareth underscore UK. You can email me, it's DissectingDexter, or one word, at gmail.com. And there's also the new Dissecting Dexter Facebook page. If you go onto Facebook, search for Dissecting Dexter, and you can't miss it. I'll be posting, well I have already been posting comments, uh, video links and um, links to the podcast, updates about the podcast. And you guys are also able to post stuff there, post comments, post questions, uh, essentially post anything you like on the page. So, uh, you know, it's your page too. Let's try and turn it into a kind of a forum for listeners of the podcast. That would be good. Next time. Dissecting Dexter. Okay, your weekly spoiler-free preview of the next episode. The episode title, Smokey and the Bandit. So whether the title is a reference to a similarity with the film of the same name, <laughs> will a crazy policeman get a bee in his bonnet for Dexter and try to catch him in a series of hilarious car chases? <laughs> no, maybe not. I don't know. I was trying to think of what Smokey and the Bandit might mean... Oh, sorry, should have given another little spoiler alert for the episode title there. Um, what that could mean for the for what might happen in the episode, I would guess there's some similarity with something that happens in the in the film. But well, I say it a lot. I'll say it again. We shall see. But for Deb, I see her next episode trying to settle into a new job, maybe facing some animosity from Quinn, who's going to be a bit pissed off she didn't tell him first. Not to mention probably still being a bit sore from her rejection. But I don't know, it remains to be seen how he reacts to that, whether he'll sort of turn it around and try and get her back. Batista might have Deb's back though, and I'm sure Dexter will as well, so if anyone tries to undermine her, I think they'll have those two guys to answer to. And of course she's going to have her first challenge pretty quickly, because as we saw at the end of this last episode, Geller and Travis setting up their newest victim... But I wonder next episode whether we'll start to get some background on these two. Maybe learn a little bit about their sort of daylight activities. What they do for a day job. 
Will the presumably religious symbolism of the next kill lead the police to bring in a local religious expert to help interpret the clues? <laughs> Will they bring in Geller or Travis to help with the case? That would be interesting. And for Dexter, he may be at the start of a new personal journey, exploring how Brother Sam's faith in God seems to be suppressing his darkness. There's possibly a lot he can learn there. So, as I see the duration for this podcast has now gone well over the hour again, um, I don't know whether I should apologise or not. I mean, I've, I've had one or two comments from listeners who uh, want more rather than less and enjoy the longer duration podcast, because it's all, it's all Dexter, isn't it? We're talking about Dexter. So, um, I won't apologise, because it's, uh, it's great to get lots of feedback and talk about what you guys thought, and... I must say, this week, the feedback has really provided a very interesting theory for this season. The one about Harrison leading to Batista finding out about Dexter. So, I'm looking forward to seeing all that unfold. and um, Oh yeah, and also maybe identifying the owner of the fingers in that trailer. So, Matt, my friend, if you're listening, you may well have been right, sir. (laughs) But time will tell. But for now... I'll say thanks very much for listening. We're at the end of another podcast. Thank you for your continued support and downloads. Appreciated as always. And uh, the continuing new reviews on iTunes. Great stuff. I'll speak to you in a week's time and we'll dissect some more Dexter. So until then, take care guys. Cheers for now. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.